I'm here with uh, Damon West, um, I guess a motivational speaker. We had on the show recently, Life on the Rock. And I thought we'd maybe just, you didn't have that much time on the show, so I thought we'd maybe fill in some stuff. Um, one thing I asked you about is you had a 65-year prison sentence. What happened to that? <laughs> well, I've still got the prison sentence. Um, I, I was sentenced to 65 years, and I was arrested in 2008. In 2009, I went to trial. And the jury sentenced me to 65 years. And in Texas, that's a life sentence. Anything 16 above is life. So uh, I went to prison and started working on that sentence. Now, my sentence is a non-aggravated sentence, meaning that no one was ever hurt in the commission of my crime. If you have a non-aggravated sentence in Texas, you get credit for working time, for work time while you're in prison and for good time behavior. Mm. So every day that I'm there, for example, I get an extra day for being there if I follow the rules and don't get in trouble. And I didn't get any trouble while I was in there. And every day that I'm there, if I'm willing to work, I get a half a day credit for being there. Now, it says that I have to do 25% of my sentence before I come up for parole because it's non-aggravated. So when I got to 25% of 60, that's 15 years, I was eligible for parole. But because of those work time and good time credits, when I got to six years of actual real time in prison, I had another six years built up of good time, that one day for one day. And then I got an extra half day for working uh -huh. while I was in prison. So that's another three years when I got to the six-year mark. Uh -huh. Built 15 years. Okay. So when I got to seven years and three months, they came and opened the door. Actually, it was November 16, 2015, uh, uh -huh. two years ago yesterday. Uh -huh. They came and opened the door. Said, all right, we're going to let you go. But if you come back, we're going to keep you for the rest of the sentence. Yeah. And then you described how when you first got there, you, had to, you were in a lot of fights. Um, did that not hurt the... What do you call it? The good, the good time. The, yeah, uh, yeah. So if you get caught fighting and a guard wants to actually take the time to write the case up against you, yes, it can become a disciplinary infraction. I had one minor disciplinary infraction for a fight in prison. Uh, they have minor cases, major cases. A major case is something that will affect your good time behavior. A minor case is something small, um, like talking in the hallway or not walking inside the yellow line, and the warden graded my case of minor case. It was a self-defense type deal. Um, so the only time I ever got written up was a minor infraction for a fight that happened in prison and it didn't affect my, my behavior time. But you know, all those fights for the most part, and look, it's prison was different back then when I got in there. There weren't the camera systems that there are now. They didn't have what's called PREA, which is Prison Rape Elimination Act. That's a, a big deal that came on around 2012 is when they started putting all these cameras in. But they didn't have all that security back then when I got there. And you would just go in the back by the showers to fight and go in the rec yard to fight. And nobody's there to break it up. It's, it's a very scary, terroristic environment because really you're on an island and there's nothing you can do except fight and defend yourself because you don't want to do the alternative. The alternative is way worse yeah. to not fight. So after you have like this conversion experience, do you still have to fight or how do you, do you able to get around that and not? You know, and living the faith and trying sure. not to fight, you know. Well, the conversion experience is uh, separate from the fighting. You have to, you have to establish yourself in prison. Um, this guy in prison gave me, this guy in jail before I went to prison, the county jail, this old black guy named Jackson. I called him Mr. Jackson, I respect. Mr. Jackson was in his 60s. He'd been to prison four or five times. But he explained to me, he said, let me give you an analogy. He said, prison's like a pot of boiling water. And anything we put in that pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure in there. He said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water we call prison. He said, I'm going to put a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. Mm -hmm. 
He said, first thing first, put the carrot in there. He said, Wes, what happens when I boil a carrot? I said, well, Mr. Jackson, it gets soft. He goes, that's right. A carrot went into prison. He was hard, but prison changed that carrot, turned him soft and mushy. He said he got beat, he got robbed, he got raped, and he may have gotten killed. Then he said, the egg. Let's put the egg inside that pot, pot of boiling water. He said, what happens to the egg? I said, it turns hard. He said, that's right. The egg went in with that soft liquid inside, that hard outer shell, but prison changed that egg. Turned him hard on the inside, too. Now he's incapable of giving or receiving love. He's institutionalized. He can stay in prison because he's going back the rest of his life. Mm. He said, but that coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, when I throw that in a pot of boiling water, it changes the water to coffee. It changes the entire environment in there. He right. said, and that's what he's telling me. So, And he tells me that, you know, if you're going to survive prison, you have to be like that coffee bean. You have to go in there and change the atmosphere around you. You have to remain positive. And so... My conversion begins in county jail. Not not so much a conversion as a, as a coming home. I mean, I was raised cradle Catholic, and, and my mother has a strong devotion to the Blessed Mother, so she kept me locked into that. When I first called home for the first time from county jail, after I got arrested, her first words to me is that, because they knew that I was on drugs, they knew something was wrong. And when I called home, it was almost a relief, I think, for my mom. And she said, Damon, you are now a captive audience to God. You better start listening because I can't go anywhere, you know? And so it's almost a coming home uh, is more than a conversion. But even with that, I mean, you have to get out there and fight. Like Mr. Jackson even told me, he said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you have to fight all your fights because the minute you stop fighting your fights, you will be that carrot. You'll be that carrot someone takes advantage of and, and they hurt you. They do physical things to you. Um, but once you get past that, it took a couple months to get past that. A couple months where people want to try you to see if you're going to fight back, see if you're going to defend yourself. And once that was done, that, that was off my back. I didn't have to worry about fighting anymore. And when that was done, I got to work on myself every day, spiritually, mentally, physically, in those three areas. And I tell people all the time in rooms I go to is you have to work on yourself in those three areas every day. And the saying that you are what you eat, that's not just about food. You are what you eat means what do you feed yourself spiritually every day, you know? Do you feed yourself spiritually every day? Do you tap into God? What do you feed yourself uh, mentally? I mean, what kind of books are you reading? What kind of videos do you watch? What kind of websites do you go to, you know? Are you into pornography? Are you doing stuff like that? Because you're going to resemble that on the outside. That's what, you, that's what you are, what you eat, whatever you feed yourself spiritually, mentally, yeah. physically. So when I got to work on that stuff every day, I, I, I got opened up to a lot more stuff in the chapel. And the chapel was a refuge for me. It was like a life raft for a drowning man. I went to that chapel. They had so many Catholic services in that group. One of my, one of the ones I, I latched onto early on was the Brotherhood of St. Dismas. Are you familiar with St. Dismas, Father? St. Dismas, the good thief on the cross. They have a whole brotherhood in, in prison for men that want to, you know, turn their life around. And this, the Brotherhood of St. Dismas is for men and for women in women's prison, they have the Sisterhood of the Magdalene. And it's such a neat little group because here you are. These are all coffee beans in this chapel. Everybody in there is there voluntarily. They want to better themselves no matter if they're never going to go home or not. And most of those guys are never going home too. But they want to be better. They want to live more Christ-like inside that institution. Kind of like Dabo Sweeney said, you bloom where you're planted. Right. And so, and what does that look like in prison to live more Christ-like? How is that played out? You know, I tell people all the time that life is so different on the outside than it is on the inside, especially going back on these, these retreats I go into with the St. Colby Ministry, the Catholic group that takes the retreat to the prisoners. When I went through these retreats as an inmate, I saw that I had so much more time to devote to just working with God, talking with God, because 
your your day's not you make 150 decisions every day maybe when you're in prison when you're outside in the in the free world you're making thousands of decisions a day you know what to wear what to do driving a car but our lives on the outside consume us so they can consume us so much that we lose that contact with God that conscious contact but when you're in prison when you're in the penitentiary if you are receptive to Jesus and you want to go down that road Man, you can focus on that. I mean, you can focus on that. You can stop and pray wherever you are at any time. Uh, there's just nothing. You're going to fill your days up with something. You have to find ways to fill your days yeah. up with stuff. Imagine, Father, if you had to, no agenda, and every day you had to figure out a way to fill up 24 hours. Right. So you all would, would gather in the chat. We'd have Mass like once a week. And oh, yeah. Every, every Saturday morning, yeah. uh, you you report at 7.30 at the chapel for Mass, and the diocese in, in Beaumont, where I was locked up, I was locked up with the Mark Styles unit in Beaumont. The diocese down there, which is the diocese I grew up in as a cradle Catholic, so I've been part of this diocese all my life, they have a tremendous outreach in their criminal justice ministry, which is kind of neat because now that I'm out of prison and I still live in the diocese, the bishop sends me around for the bishop's faith appeal to go talk to all the parishes about the criminal justice ministry, and I can be a living example of what their money goes towards when they contribute to the, to the uh, criminal justice ministries. In our diocese, so I would we would go there. We had mass every Saturday, and if we didn't have a priest for mass, which we usually did, we had about three or four priests that would rotate out and come spend their Saturday mornings with us. Uh, we would have mass. We would have they have tons of Catholic classes. I think there's ten different Catholic groups that meet there throughout the week, and so you can fill your days up with with Catholic classes in the chapel. All you got to do is just say how I want, I want to be involved and volunteer, and they they put you in. They want you in there. And some of these groups have 20, 30 men in there. And you, you look around these, these Catholic groups, and there's the same guys in most of them. And, you know, you ask what it was like being more Christ-like in there. Sometimes it was volunteering to help with these classes, like RCIA classes. You know, people coming into the Catholic faith, you know, you're, you're dealing with 20, 25 converts a year that want to come into Catholicism in the prison system. Yeah. And so you can be there to help sponsor somebody come through and help somebody, you know, because they're going to make all the sacraments at one time in one Mass. They're going to make the first, you know, the first three or four sacraments at one time. Um, but they had um, retreats that would come in. I mean, that was part of the thing with the, with the Catholic diocese that would send these retreats in. With the, uh, They started out as the Acts retreats. Have you ever heard of the Acts retreats? Adoration Community Theology Service. Those are the Catholic group. But then they split and became the Colby Prison Ministries because there were some different uh, parts of the ritual they wanted to do that the Acts group wasn't wasn't doing. So it became the and, and had to do a lot with the Divine Mercy Chaplet. We did the Divine Mercy Chaplet on the Colby Prison Ministry, okay. and I got to go to those retreats as an inmate. And then now as a free man, I get to go back into those retreats as a free man and minister to those men as one of the volunteers that came in, like the ones that came to help me. And I've wondered, like, I haven't done you know, regular prison ministry, just visits sometimes, but um, they, you know, that Matthew 25, I was in prison, you visited, visited me, me, right? Is, can you feel that? Is there a special presence of Christ in? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but it, I jump at this question because when I got done with my first retreat, it was from Thursday to Sunday. There's 66 guys that go through it. And when I got done with that retreat, I, I ran back to my pod where I, where I live on the prison unit, got on the Blue Day Room phone, and called my mother. I was, and, and my mom's got this strong devotion to Blessed Mother. She prays for me every day, prays a rosary, you know, and has everybody in the community praying. So I called my mom. I said, Mom, I had the best time in prison this weekend. 
my poor mother, she's been through it all. You know, so she's like, well, okay, Damon, tell me what the best time in prison sounds like. So, and I said, Mom, these men came in, and they ministered to us. They brought, they brought Jesus in there, and then they, they brought the Holy Spirit. I said, Mom, these men came in here, and they loved on us. I mean, they formed a gauntlet. There's 40 guys that come in from the outside, and, they, and when you come into this retreat, it's like coming into heaven because there's a gauntlet of men you go through, and every man grabs you and hugs you. And, and I said, Mom, these men loved on us. I mean, we're the, we're the unwanted. We're the sinners. We're the outcasts. We're the dregs of society. We're prisoners. No one, lo- no one likes us except our families, but these men dropped their, their families, their lives, their jobs, their, everything they have going on for four days to minister to us and bring Jesus. And, yeah, that's the face of God when you see something like that. And, and it affected these men. I said, Mom, there wasn't a dry in the room. The biggest, baddest guys in the joint were crying like babies by the end of that retreat because of the love they felt in that room. And I told my mom, when I got to get out of prison, I got to find these guys and be a part of their group. And I, and I am now to this day. So, uh, Some of our guys did do um, – I forgot what they do. Uh, Kurt Cron- – what is that? It's not Chris Seale. Kairos. Kairos, yeah. And they talked about um, – Having bringing in home baked cookies, what an effect! Oh, the cookies, man! The Kairos guys, everybody know. And I did the Kairos, the Kairos walk when I was in prison too. So the Kairos guys, everybody knows when they come on the unit because they will bring a dozen home baked cookies to every single inmate on the unit. Now think about this: there's three thousand inmates on the Styles unit. That's one prison out of 110 prisons in Texas. All right, there's 155,000 people locked up in Texas, maybe 160. They'll bring a dozen cookies for every single inmate at every single prison they go to. And when those Kairos guys come on the unit, everybody's mouth starts salivating because they know, here's home-baked cookies. And, man, you don't get home-baked cookies in prison. There's, I mean, because visitation, you can't bring anything to eat. They got vending machine food you eat in visitation. But those Kairos guys come in, and it's the same as the Colby guys. They bring a little food as bait. You know, you, 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 you get a man's soul by going through his stomach sometimes. Because <laughs> so, the food in prison is terrible, Father. I mean, it's awful, man. It's like Wonder Bread bologna. Oh, my God. It's ter- I'll never eat grits again. They serve grits every single morning. Um, one of the things, my sponsor in recovery, I'm in AA. I don't speak for AA, but I am in AA. And my sponsor will, uh, you know, if I call him sometimes and I've got a, uh, something going on and it's, a, you know, it's something I shouldn't do, because, I mean, it's, let's be honest. I mean, in, in recovery, it's not going to always be a drink or a drug that sends you back. It's going to be a decision you make about life, a, wo- uh, a, a woman, jobs, whatever. You know, something happens in your family can send you back over the edge. So I'll call him because I have to plug in this formula of, you know, these four spiritual absolutes that they have. You know, unselfish, honest, pure, and loving. Every decision I make when I come to that fork of the road, I have to ask myself, is this unselfish, honest, pure, and loving? And if it's not, then I shouldn't do it, you know? And I'm not going to say I'm perfect about it, that I don't do things that are unselfish, honest, pure, and loving, because there's, there's times when I've made the wrong decisions, and I have to come back, and, you know, part of the recovery program, your tools is to make amends and, and yeah. fix that and, and do a self-inventory. But my sponsor will always tell me whenever we're, we're talking about this stuff, he said, you know, Damon, I want you to think about that pork noodle casserole that you ate in prison. That pork noodle casserole, mm, 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 it's so good, isn't it? And, and, and just the, the, the words pork noodle casserole together are like fingernails on a chalkboard because, Father, they serve that about four times a week, and it's just like slop. It's just like slop. I mean, they feed you while you're in there. You're going to get three meals a day, but it's not home cooking. I, there's no salt and pepper in your food. There's, everything's noodles, and it's... Um, it's filler food, and it, 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 but these guys come in with these retreats. I was on a prison retreat this past weekend. I mean, one week ago today, I was sitting in my old prison, the same maximum security unit, 
ministering to these men. And we tell you the kind of meals we brought in. We brought in gumbo for one of the meals. Mm. We brought in Jason's Deli because the, the founder of Jason's Deli is one of these prison retreat guys, a guy named Joe Totoris. And so we brought in Jason's Deli for one meal. We brought Mexican food in for one meal. Yeah. Chips and salsa in a prison. Never has happened since I, when, when I was in there. Never has happened. I mean, so, yeah, we bring in Cajun food. We bring in different kinds of food, the cookies and all that stuff. It's, yeah, you go through a man's stomach to get through his soul in prison. Tell us about it. Was there a particular guy that just sort of had a holiness about him that was real compelling for you in prison that uh, witnessed to you in a powerful way? Or You know, I wouldn't say just one guy to pick him out. I want to... I wanna, I would say there were a group of guys, and I would call them coffee beans in the sense of what Mr. Jackson talked about being a coffee bean and being a positive force for change. And the astonishing thing to me is these men that, for the most part, were the most devout about what they were doing, they're never going home. They're never going home. And they have taken it upon they, – they feel it's their life's mission to minister to people in prison that – uh, you know, work on those souls. Some are going home, some are not. But, but they have accepted responsibility for the things they've done, mm-hmm. and which is what, what I did too. Because you first have to accept responsibility for what you've done wrong, and, and then you can work on yourself. They've accepted the responsibility. They've asked Jesus for forgiveness, and they have assumed that that is their ministry now. Their ministry is to minister to men in prison while they're in there to bring them to Christ. And these guys live it man they don't just talk it they live it man they walk the walk i mean they don't they're they're way better men than i am i mean because i mean i look i mean father i still use foul language occasionally i mean i've got you know like i said i don't always do things that are unselfish i mean i'm a human being and 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 i'm an addict and i'm driven by ego sometimes and, and pride gets in the way sometimes and i have to check myself constantly i have to have other people check me but these men were very good about walking that walk almost modest like 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 monks yeah. i mean they were almost there there's a group of them that's almost like monks in prison and then today i think you mentioned you work for a law firm mm-hmm. and what like today what maintains you spiritually and because i know like giving talks and everything you know here television work you know i can puff up your ego your pride what are some of the things you do today to stay on the christian path well so in a program of recovery I'm an addict. I've got a program of recovery. Like I said, I go to AA. I don't speak for AA, but I go to AA. So that's my group. But I also have – because in that you have a connection to a higher power. You're, are you familiar with recovery? No. Okay. So you can pick your higher power. I mean, it's some people – it's whatever it is to the person. Mine's God. I'm Catholic. Mine's God. But that's not enough for me, just the program recovery. The program recovery is the most important thing because I have to have tools and I have rules I have to follow – but I have to be tapped into my faith, and, and I do as much as I can volunteer work. That's where I've found that if I'm constantly giving back, constantly doing things for God and letting God drive the car around and I just ride as a passenger, then I'm going to be okay. The minute my life becomes about Damon and Damon's story, and the minute it stops being about God, I'm in real trouble. I'm in real trouble. And it's never gotten close to that. I mean, I always try to make sure that I'm humble and, and I've got people around me to make sure that I'm humble too if I ever walk out of that line. But like I said, that hasn't that hasn't occurred yet, anything like that. But I just try to keep perspective. One of my favorite sayings is position determines perspective. You know, where you've been, where you are now, it kind of determines how you see things. My 
worst day out here in the free world is better than my best day in prison, you know? Prison's tough on a good day. I mean, prison's a tough environment. By design, it's tough. You're there to pay a a penalty. But I try to keep God at the center, at the focus, at the forefront of everything I do. I have to. I have to because this can't be about Damon. Because Damon didn't do anything to get out of prison. God opened that door, man. Seven years and three months on a life sentence. Even my parole officer, when I got out, looked at my paperwork, looked at me and said, I don't know how you're sitting in front of me right now. She said, this is a God thing because we're— they they don't let people out for the first time on a life sentence. You know, they, they I think by design they want to see how you're going to handle the rejection. But mm-hmm. I didn't. It's almost like a contract with God, Father, where God says, "Look, Damon, I've I've put you through something. Not just you, because I didn't just He didn't just put me through it. He put my victims through it. He put my family through it. I mean, I locked my family up with me. They went to prison with me because they were there the whole time I was there. They loved me unconditionally. And that means they were locked up too. So I hurt a lot of people to get where I am. So it's almost like God says, look, we did all this because you're going to go out now and you're going to spread my message. I'm going to use you now mm-hmm. because that's what the whole plan was all along. You know, sometimes you sit in places in life where you wonder, God, why is this happening? And it was almost with clarity when I was getting out that, okay, this is why this is happening. This is not for Damon to have his freedom because Damon wants to be free because no one wants to be locked up. Mm. I mean, that's the prayer of every inmate. God, let me out of here, you know. But I don't think God let me out just because Damon wanted to be free or because his mother and father wanted him back out, his brothers wanted him back out. Mm. I think God let me back out and put me through everything I had to go through to be a testimony to what he can do. I mean, because think about it, man. If I could get out of that situation in the condition I am am in now, then— other people can use that for inspiration to, to draw on when they go through something in life. I mean, because life's going to knock you down. You're not going to win all your—like Jackson said, you're not going to win all your fights, but you got to fight all your fights. you got to get up every day, get up and, you know, dust yourself off, get back in the game. Uh, don't stay on the ground long. Get back up. But you can do that with Christ. Christ will always be there to pick you up. My mom will always remind me of uh, Footprints in the Sand, this plaque that she had on my wall when I was a kid. You know, she had a prayer plaque. She had a prayer plaque or a cross in every room in the house, Father. You couldn't escape God, this woman's home. But in my bedroom was Footprints in the Sand, and she would remind me about that in prison all the time. When when things are tough, Damon, just remember that, that God's carrying you. There's one set of footprints in prison, and there is one set of footprints in prison, Father. Because you're not walking around carrying yourself. You're not walking around in that place. You, you need God to carry you through prison. Well, thanks so much for talking to us. I know you got to get to the airport, but thanks. Man, I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. I wish we could have gone on longer. I'm sorry I ate up our time earlier talking about other stuff. 